day when chaos reigns. At a time when spiritual darkness covers the face of the earth. There is a movement. A groundswell of change is happening. God is being true to his word and keeping his promise. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that standard, and it is being lifted up like a mighty banner of hope for all to see. Men, women, students, and children are all finding life in that banner. The church is waking up. A mighty army is coming together to proclaim truth, righteousness, the forgiveness of sins, and the power of God's word. Jesus is building his church. And in spite of those who try to silence it, shut it down and stop its work, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. This is a move of the Spirit of God. This is a move to lift high the banner. This is a move of the church. Join the movement. Amen. Amen. God's moving. Amen. He's going to continue. I'm believing, claiming the promise. He is here gathered with us. Amen. His word is alive. His spirit is here in fullness. He is teaching. He is training. He is maturing us. He's calling us to greater faith. He's calling us to greater trust. And spirits of resistance and evil and doubt have no room in this place this morning. Amen. So we usher them right on out of this place that we might be full, open-hearted believers ready to receive what Jesus has for us. Amen? Amen. So uh, Heather and I, every once in a while, we'll watch some movies. It's hard to find some good movies today. It's tough. So sometimes that means going back and watching stuff that before was okay. I have some favorite series of the past. Love some Matrix. I'm looking forward to what's coming out next from Matrix. Uh, love some Back to the Future, the whole idea of being able to go back and into the future and then go back and into the future, all that is just intriguing and interesting and fun to watch. And the idea of you know, being able to go back in time and see your own family. You know, I can go look at my family photos, and, uh, but uh, my dad was born in 1918, so there wasn't a whole lot of photos from that period of time. But there's times I think, man, it would be awesome to be able to go back in time and see my dad as a young person, to see my mom as a young person, to see what shaped their lives. I heard their stories, but I just would love to see that, to see my grandparents, uh, my granddad on my mom's side that I knew, uh, who was uh, where I kind of got my namesake, Granddaddy, today. Uh, he was Granddaddy to me. And to know what life was like for him uh, in the late 1800s. And I just think how fascinating that would be to see what shaped their lives. Or even to go back in time to some old Ovilla, you know, to go back here to this spot in this area, to come back to this spot in 1903 and know that when they were planting a church on this piece of property, to know what was in their heart, what was in their mind, to hear them pray, to hear them read scripture, to hear them 
think about what God was going to do here. There had to be a moment of faith in all of that. What's very interesting is that, of course, back then there was no such thing as Ovilla Road as we know it. And then the property that was, um, was acquired by the church at the time was this, but it extended over that way a little bit further. So actually, you know, Ovilla Road cuts off a little piece of the property that actually belongs to the church. It's fascinating. That little piece between Ovilla Road and the car wash over there actually belongs to us. That's pretty weird because that's how the layout used to be. Main Street truly was Main Street back here. If you came to Ovilla, you came down this street behind the church, and that's why you drive upon or vertical here, and you look on the back side, and you think, why does the back look like the front? Because that used to be the front, and this was the back a long time ago. So a little bit of history there for you. But I think how fascinating it would be to go back and hear their hearts to hear their prayers and know that God was doing a move then. They were praying about what God would do in the future. And here we are today as part of the answer to that prayer. Amen. Just to know what those people were like, to know what it was like to be at the beginning of that move, that movement then, to know what was it that when they gathered together, what was said, what was sung, what passage was read that sparked a movement amongst them? What changed the atmosphere in the room for them. Love to know those things. History tells us about some of the great moves of God, even in our own country. History books in many schools, they don't include this anymore. But prior to the Declaration of Independence, just prior to it, believe it or not, there was a move that happened in our nation. It was called the First Great Awakening. You see, there had been many people who had come on the Mayflower and soon after with hopes of a, a Christian society. And in all of their work and efforts, they came here and they prayed and they waited. But things didn't turn out as they had planned. The journey was tough. The battle was tough. And their hearts began to drift. And soon, all of those who came with hopes of a better land found themselves in the midst of a land where they were engaged in sin. They were still going to church, but even church in the 1700s had gotten to a place where it turned into just formal religion. People just did it because they wanted to just gain some kind of religious points, but their lifestyles didn't match what they talked about. They would say one thing on Sunday and do another thing on Monday. They were practicing religion but not living out their faith. And in their own communities, there was a lot of sin happening. There was a lot of misconduct and immorality going on. All the while, they continued doing religious stuff on Sundays. Sound familiar? It happened then in the 1700s. They even got to the place where many of the pastors who were preaching in their pulpits were not even Christians who were committed to God. They were just speakers who were filling a position on a Sunday morning. They began to have membership in churches where they called a half covenant where you could join the church on the idea that one day you might be a Christian. They weren't even living by Christian morals and standards and the Bible as the foundation of their faith. It was a desperate time because here, this group that had come to a new land with all these hopes and dreams, they were watching the church crumble and the church was about to come to its end in our own land in the 1700s. But there was a small group of people who were praying. And God began to raise up new people who would speak truth. One of those men 
One of those men was a man named Jonathan Edwards. One of the great pastors and speakers in the 1700s. He began to speak at a time when the great enlightenment had come and was sweeping across from Europe to America. The great enlightenment was this idea that science and logic was to be believed over faith and the Bible. Sound familiar? Were they trusted in the science and not in the faith? Were they trusted in man's words and not in God's word? And Jonathan Edwards stood up in that day and began to boldly proclaim God's word. He began to boldly preach righteousness at a time when it was not popular. He began to boldly proclaim that there was only life through faith in Jesus Christ alone and that it was time to come to a place of repentance. It's a hard message when a people have turned their backs and their hearts on God. But Jonathan Edwards was faithful and he continued to preach. In one such meeting, he preached. And it was recorded in history that six people responded and gave their life to Jesus Christ in Northampton, Massachusetts. Those six began to go back into their homes and live out their faith. And soon the numbers began to grow and the movement began to swell. Soon there wasn't anyone left in Northampton who had not considered the necessity of a relationship with Jesus Christ and the movement continued to spread. By the time it was over, God would do a move throughout this entire land at the time, as small as it was. It would be a time when Jonathan Edwards would speak and Jonathan Edwards was not a very flamboyant guy. He wasn't, and I don't mean flamboyant in terms of how that's often used today. He was not that either. He was not dramatic. Most say that when Jonathan Edwards spoke, he stood behind the pulpit and he read or spoke his words in a very monotone voice, staring only at the back wall, and he would preach God's word. And he would preach it hard and he would preach it strong. God used him, the Spirit spoke through him so powerfully that often he would have to stop preaching because the people would begin to cry. The people would begin to wail. The people would begin to fall out in the floor of conviction of God in their hearts. And God worked and a movement began in that day. Before it was all over, 350 churches would be built in this new land. 50,000 people would come to faith in this new land. The movement would be so strong that Christian colleges and universities would be founded. Names that you and I still know today, though they have not held to their Christian founding. Princeton, Rutgers, Brown, Dartmouth, all began with very strong, Christian, distinctive vision statements. There was a spirit of faith in the land, a spirit of revival, a spirit of owning relationship with God, of personal responsibility. 
and trusting Christ. This spirit so swept the land, this spirit of individual revival, individual responsibility to God, that that very notion shaped the founding fathers who would say it is time for us to separate from the ruling monarchy in England that we might be a free people. And many of the founding documents all were shaped by the preaching of Jonathan Edwards and the movement that happened in this first great awakening. Go back and read the right history books and you'll find that. It's true. It's there. You think about a movement like that shaping the land, changing family structures, changing the lives of fathers and mothers and students, changing the whole culture so that the school system changed, the culture changed, the business climate changed, the laws changed, the government changed, politics changed because God started a movement. Amen? I want to be a part of that kind of move today. Hello? Now, your lack of enthusiasm there tells me I'm not sure you believe that can happen today. I get it. But I'm telling you, the people in that day thought the same. How could it ever be reversed and changed to see God on the throne of our land again? Today, I want us to consider that God is moving today. He's looking for those who will respond to the movement of his spirit within us and to see what it would take for that kind of move to happen again in our land. Amen? Our message today is called, It All Starts With a Move. That great awakening began when Jonathan Edwards said, I hear you, God. I will stand up and boldly proclaim your word. That movement started because six people responded. That movement started because they lived out their faith in their homes, in their communities, in their churches, and in their land. And that kind of movement can still happen today. I get it. You look around today and you think, the movement looks like it's going in the opposite direction. I get it. It looks like Christianity is hanging by a thread. I get it. But those kind of settings are the ones that God specializes in. The ones where it looks like everything is against. Everything is going the opposite direction. There's no way there could be change. It's in those times that the greatest moves of God in history have happened. That tells me that we are set up for another great move of God. Amen? Amen. We aren't the first ones to have ever wondered, is there going to be revival? Is this the end of the faith community as we know it? Is this the end? We aren't the first ones. Even when the children of Israel in the Old Testament have come out of Babylon out of their own captivity had come back into their land and were beginning to establish their lives and they looked and much like our founding fathers found themselves at a period of sin and immorality and the breakdown of faith the same was happening for the children of Israel 
Psalm 85 records this question. Will you not revive us again? You see, we're not the first to have ever asked that question. God, you've done it before. You delivered us out of Babylon. Now we are once again, our hearts have been turned against you. You're pouring out your judgment until the people wake up. God, will you not revive us again? And the scripture records and history records what it takes for movement to happen. Today I want us to look at some of the elements of moves of God. And I want to tell you why I think we are on the verge of a great move of God. So if you want to follow along and take notes, if you want to take pictures of the screen for your notes, you're welcome to. That won't bother me a bit. Let's look at several points today. The first one is this. The first indicator of a movement is movements happen when the culture around the church is in full meltdown. It's always been that way. When the book of Acts opens and the Holy Spirit is poured out, the day of Pentecost comes and pre Peter stands up to preach. One of the things that he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 and 41, it says that with many words he testified and he exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation, from a backwards, twisted, immoral culture. Peter said, it's time to be saved from this. It's time to be saved out of it. It's time to be rescued. Come out of what's out there. Come out of all of that. They have turned their backs on God. Though they are religious, come out of all of that. God always has his biggest moves in the time when the culture has slid the furthest away from him. And the movements happen when the church realizes we are the cause. When the church realizes we are the one who have walked away. We are the one whose light did not shine, whose salt lost its flavor, its savor, and caused the generation, the culture, to slide to the place that it is today. We've played religious games. We've taken church to be this Sunday-only activity. We've tried to look religious, and in place of that, the culture has just dominated and taken over. We've let them have the lead. We've let them educate our children. We've let them entertain our hearts. We've let them take care of our physical needs. We've let them become our health providers. We've let them take care of life. We've let them become king of everything and wondered, Jesus, where are you? It's because we have let it happen. Movements happen when the culture around is in full meltdown, but the church recognizes we are the ones who have allowed it to happen. Number two, movements of God happen when believers are completely desperate for God to move. Have you ever been desperate? Chances are most of us never have. We've never been in a position where 
we say, God, if you don't move, if you don't act, I have no clue what's going to happen next. Most of us like to stay in a place where we are able to still manage life. We want to fix it. We want to control it. We want to be able to bring some order to it. We want to do it. But when the church finally gets to the place where they say, God, we've tried. We've thrown ourselves at it. We've put every thought we could into it. And God, we cannot do it. You see, that's hard for us 20th, 21st century Americans. We've built this whole land on, I can do this. We've built this whole nation on our resilience, our ingenuity, our creativity. And so it's tough for people like us to say, I can't do it. We don't even like to say that around our family. Men don't like to admit that to their wives. Ladies don't like to admit that to their friends. Students don't like to admit that to anybody. Nobody likes to be at a place where you admit, I can't do this. I don't know what to do next. I'm clueless. I'm out. I'm done. I'm undone. I don't know what to do. God. It's a very vulnerable place to be. But vulnerable is what God specializes in because God gives grace to the humble, the vulnerable, the weak, the needy, those who will acknowledge it, those who will say it, and those who will say, God, we are absolutely, completely desperate for you to move. When Peter preached, as I told you in Acts chapter 2, it says that the people heard it in verse 37, and they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We are done. We are desperate. We give up. We surrender. We recognize we have offended God. We have gone our own way, done our own thing. We don't know what to do. What should we do? That's the place you have to get to if you want to see God move. You've got to be willing to say that. You've got to be willing to confess that, not just to not just to God privately, but to God outwardly. And to a friend and to a spouse and to your children and to your family outwardly. I don't know what to do. That's when God begins to work in a life. And if you're filled with, I can fix it, I can do it, I'll manage it, I'll control it, I'll figure it out. I don't need anybody's help. I have some sad news for you. You will not see God move. Because that is you filled with you. That is you in your arrogance and your flesh resisting being totally humble before God. Amen? Uncomfortable, but true. Number three, 
movements happen when we lay aside the prescribed way they think it should happen. You know, it's a funny thing we Christians do. We have an experience and then we expect God to move again in the future like he did the last time we saw him move. And we get this little pattern set up and expect it to be the same again. The problem is, though God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he moves in different ways in different periods and different generations. There was a day before the giving of the law that God worked in his people based on the first sacrifice that he made for Adam when he killed an animal and clothed them with that animal's skin. The blood of that animal covered their unrighteousness. But then Moses came along and God gave the law through Moses and then began a new way. Now it was all about the law. And the law prescribed a way of life and a way to confess your sins before God and offer sacrifices based on that one back there with Adam. But the law lasted only till a time because then Jesus came along and fulfilled the law and Jesus said, now I am the way and the truth and the life. I, it's always been about me, but all of that was a picture of me, but this is a new day in time. And there were people in Jesus' day who couldn't get past the way that it had been done before and recognize him as the new way and they got stuck in the old way and those very people saw Jesus and they crucified him because he said he was the way. I'm talking about Pharisees in case you didn't know, right? They got stuck in the old way and couldn't see Jesus as the way. But then there came another day where the Holy Spirit is poured out and then a new covenant is established and now the Holy Spirit dwells in believers and instead of having to go through a priest, we're all made priests under our God and we can come directly to him. It was a new way and a new day again in the New Testament if you ever get stuck in the way it used to happen or the way it happened for you and you expect it to be that way again, you'll miss God when he does something new. Hey, I grew up in uh, the 70s and 80s. My faith, I wasn't saved until 1981. And in that day, there was a big movement uh, about the preaching against rock and roll music. And so I went to some youth conferences and did some things, and it was all about evils of rock music. And so what were they asking teenagers to do? Bring your rock albums and let's burn them all to the Lord and cleanse your, you know, your house and all of that kind of stuff. And so I just thought, well, this is the way God's always kind of going to work. It has to, be, it has to look like that. You know, and I grew up in 80s Baptist church, and so I had this model in my head about the way God works. There are other people who have grown up in more, I'm just going to go ahead and step on out there for a little bit here if you don't mind. Maybe you grew up in a Methodist church. Methodist churches are a little bit more subdued than this, right? Hello? It's okay, Methodist. You can nod your head. There's others here in the room with you. <laughs> and so they do things very differently. And if you grew up in that kind of environment, you might think that is the way God always is going to work in a more Methodist, controlled, quiet Let's all just love one another, hug it out kind of approach, right? Hello? 
Yeah, all the Methodists said nothing. So, <clears throat> maybe you grew up in Assemblies or Pentecostal movement. That's a little bit different than this as well, right? I mean, you might think this is loud and a little out, out of hand sometimes. You get into some Assemblies Pentecostal environments, it's very, very different. There's a lot happening in the room. People are, you know, word of knowledge here, speaking in tongues here, healings here, all that kind of stuff's happening. And you might think, if you're not careful, if you grew up in that, that for a move of God to happen again, it has to look just like that. And I would say the same to Baptists. If you grew up in a Baptist church, you might think, well, singing hymns is what it was all about. Billy Graham, just as I am, I love all that stuff too. But look, that was for a day and that was for a time. God is the God who works in the now. His truths are the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I want you to hear a very clear message from Isaiah 43. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. God says, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. If you want to stay on the front edge of where God is working and leading, you've got to be willing to say, God, I love how you worked in the past. I love what you did in my life when I was 17, 27, 37, whatever it was. But God, today, I'm looking for something fresh you're going to do in my life. And if you want that to happen, you've got to be willing to put aside the old formats that it happened and accept the new way that he's going to do it today. Amen? I want that for us as a church. I want that for my life. I want to be in the place where I hear God speak and I move in what he's saying now without any, any restrictions or expectations about the way it's going to happen and not try to force it, manipulate it, control it, but to say, God, I just want you to move and whatever that looks like today in my life. I want to do that. I want that for us as a church, to be at a place where we are open to what he has to say to us and that we respond to it in truth. So I'm just going to just practice this little exercise real quick in your own head. Whatever ways you've seen God move in the past, look here, whether they were ones you loved or whether they were ones you actually kind of despised because they were actually did some harmful things to your family members. Pack all those up right now in your head and in your heart. Put them in a suitcase. Zip them all up and send them packing. Say, God, I don't want to get hung up on the former things. I want to see you do a new thing today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go on to the next one. Movements happen when we let go of being dignified and respectable. 
all of these are hard for us, I'm going to guess this is going to be the hardest for us. There's something about our generation, our day, our country, our, who we are as a people, uh, even who we are culturally, even who we are as people who live in North Ellis County, that uh, we kind of like the idea of holding on to our respectability. We want to be uh, dignified. We want to be recognized as someone that others look up to. I get all that. There's a certain amount of that that is necessary for us as, as believers to have a reputation that honors the Lord. I get all that. But sometimes our natural flesh gets so caught up in wanting to look good, fearing what other people think, pleasing the people around us, that we actually resist change. We resist God who's trying to move us forward, who's trying to take us to deeper levels of faith, and who's trying to get us to greater places of expressing our faith. For that to happen, we have to let go of our respectability and our idea even of reputation. Uh, I just thought of a passage that I want to read. So give me a second. This is on the fly. been trying to lick my fingers, but I can't help it. All right. Um, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. He goes on in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. In other words, here was the one who had all of the power to hold on to respectability and dignity and the expectation everybody serve him, the son of God. But out of love for his father and obedience to his father, he lets go of his reputation to become a servant. He let go of his dignity. He was the one who took off the towel and got down on his knees and washed the feet of his own disciples. If you and I want to see a move of God happen, we have to get past our dignity of trying to look impressive of trying to look like we got it all under control to look like we don't really have any need but instead be open hearted open mouth people who confess the reality of our need for Christ Because if you hold on to your respectability and your dignity, 
You'll never go and ask forgiveness to that person that you hurt. You'll never go and ask someone else for prayer. You'll never make the call to follow Christ in baptism. You'll never express yourself in open-hearted worship to God. You'll never speak openly about your faith. You'll never go and be a blessing to someone else. You'll never speak out and encourage or pray for someone because you'll be so caught up in trying to be respectable and dignified. I love the story from 2 Samuel 6. It's David's day, and David is on his way to bring the Ark of the Covenant that we talked about last week back to Jerusalem. It's been away for some time. And in his process of bringing it back, they decide to carry the Ark in a new way a way not prescribed by God. So they try to carry it this new way. They put it on a cart, and an oxen's going to carry it. And as they go along, this ark, this ark on, the, on the oxen cart jostles a little bit, and a man named Uzzah reaches out to balance it. And when he does, God kills him because he touched the ark of God, and it was only to be carried by the high priest and the priest as they traveled forward. David goes into depression. David's wondering, God, where have you done? What you, why have you left us? Where are you? And then David reads and remembers how the ark was supposed to be carried and the power and the holiness of that ark. And David repents, and he begins a journey back to Jerusalem. And as they're going, the Bible says that they, the priest took six steps and then they stopped and they sacrificed to the Lord. Now, many believe that all the way on this seven-mile journey, that every six steps they stopped and sacrificed to the Lord. That's a slow journey. And it's a journey that's a trail of blood that leads right into Jerusalem. But life always comes through a trail of blood through the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? And the Bible says that when David gets there into Jerusalem, he is worshiping, he is celebrating, and he starts dancing. He is dancing and he's singing before the Lord about what God has done, how he's redeemed them, how he's brought them back, and how he's brought redemption. And here comes the Ark of the Covenant right back up into its rightful place. And David is dancing and singing before the Lord. And his wife, Micah, looks out and says, Ugh, what are you doing? doing she pulls him aside you look ridiculous out there dancing like that in front of everybody what are you doing she's embarrassed and all that and David says look this is my God I'm going to worship him I'm going to celebrate him by the way she had a dark heart to begin with he says, I'm going to keep celebrating. I'm going to keep worshiping. In fact, 2 Samuel 6, read this. He says, I'm going to become even more undignified than this if I have to, to worship my God. I think, Lord, I'm praying for a spirit of that in our day today, that we might get so fed up with dignified plastic covering. I want to look impressive in front of everybody that I say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Even if I have to become undignified, I'll do it. 
Amen? Everybody feeling a little uncomfortable this morning? That's the Spirit of God in you trying to speak to you. Hello? Amen? Hey, it requires us getting to that place of where we're willing to be undignified. I'm willing to risk what someone else thinks of me out of obedience to my God. Amen? Come on now. The next one, movements happen when we truly repent of sin. Again, we like to be dignified. We like to manage our sin. We like to hide our sin. We like to make sin respectable. We like to give it fancy names in our day. We like to give it titles that psychiatrists and psychologists will nod their head at and say, I understand. We want to medicate it. We want to be okay about it, medicate it, and still be able to do it. We want to justify it. We want to blame the fact that we're doing it on other people who hurt us, and we want to make exceptions. Those are all 21st century modern attempts to deal with sin. But the Bible says there's one thing that you and I should do with sin, and that's repent of it, to be rid of it, to not explain it, justify it, try to defend it, but say, I have sinned. Now, you might think, does the church really need to do that today? I mean, we're not really the ones who are in the sin problem category right now. Look, if you get to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and Jesus is speaking, and he writes to seven churches there, every one of them had an instruction and a corrective for them. I want to just read to you what is written to the church that was in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, when he says angel, he's actually talking about the pastor. Not that the pastor was an angel, but it was a term they used to describe the guy who was the spokesperson for that church. These things say, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, he who who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, church, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Almost sounds like it was written to us. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not, and you've found them liars, and you've persevered, and you've had patience, and you've labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, here it comes. Here it comes. I have this against you. You have left your first love. What penetrating words. He says, you're a church who has stood for truth. You can't bear wickedness. You've spoken out against it. You've been faithful. You've done what you need to do, but I've got something I need to say to you. He said, you've left your first love. You've lost those first days, those first passions, the things that you used to do, the things that you used to do when you were filled with passion. It was all new, and you served the Lord in those days. And he says to them, 
You've left your first love. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Go back. Do those things. Repent. Stop justifying. Stop explaining. Stop thinking no one sees. God sees. Repent. Just repent of all of those. Here's what he says. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand holds the light. The lampstand holds the oil. The lampstand holds the fire. The lampstand, your place of influence, your ability to speak out. If you don't repent, if you live loveless, if you live passionless, if you're just going to go through the motions, if you're just going to be plastic, if you're not going to repent, I'm going to take away your influence and you'll just keep going through empty religious church games. That feels a lot like our day to day to me. And it's time for the church to own it, to own the responsibility and repent of our sins. And when I say the church, I'm talking about us individually as the people of God. My last point today I want to make is this. Movements happen when we move in obedience to the Spirit of God. Did you know that movements of God actually begin in heaven. They all begin there. Every great move of God has. He starts with his spirit and what he wants to accomplish and he puts it into the lives of his people. He puts that spirit in us and he causes desire to come alive. He causes within each of us a need and desire to want to pray, a desire to want to obey, a desire to want to seek him, to read his word. He puts that within us. He puts in us a desire to want to go and make things right. He puts within us a desire to want to stand up and say what's truth. He puts within us a need to confess our sin to our spouse and our friends and our family and acknowledge who he is in our midst to make faith a reality in our homes. He puts all that within us. But for it to happen outwardly, it has to get past our inwardly. It has to get to a place where each of us say, God, I will do the thing you said to me. No matter how small it is or how big it is, I will do it. And when a people individually get to that place and say, I will do the thing you're calling me to do without fear of what people think, without trying to be respectable, without trying to manage it all and say, God, I will act in obedience to you. Then movement happens. And not until. Jesus said it this way. In John chapter four, Jesus said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God begins movement in heaven and he has begun. He has spoken. He's moving today and that spirit is in you and I as believers. 
and he's moving today in us, in every one of us today. If you're a child of God, he's speaking to you because this is what the Spirit does. He teaches, he moves, he convicts, he calls, he encourages, he equips. He's moving today. What's necessary is for you and I as believers to be willing to do whatever it is he's calling us to do. That's when movement happens. When you'll walk in spirit and in truth. God, I will do what you are putting here. You've spoken to me, I'll do it. I'll repent of the sin. I'll go and ask for forgiveness. I'll do what you've called me to do. I'll give, I'll serve, I'll worship. I will open my home, whatever it is. God, I'll do it. And I won't wait till a place where I can be respectable about it. I'll do it in front of my family, my church family, and my friends. Because faith without works is dead. So it's on us today as the church. If we want to see a move happen in our land today, it's on us to respond to the move of God in here. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? My prayer today is for something bold. My prayer today is for something big. That here this morning, there would be a move of God. Something bigger than what you and I can control or contain. And that it would begin with each individual believer saying, God, what do you want me to do? What's the thing you're asking me to do? Maybe for someone here this morning, you're not even a, a believer. But this morning, God has spoken to you, and it's time for you to speak out. It's time for you to say, I have come to put my faith in Jesus Christ and be born again. Maybe for you, it's I need to repent of my sin. I have been holding it, managing it, covering it, denying, blaming. I've been doing everything except repenting of it. But no more. Today is the day I repent of it. Maybe today there's a step of obedience God's called you to do, and it's time for you to take the step. It's time to stop thinking about it. It's time to stop worrying about it. It's time to stop worrying about what someone else is going to say, but to act on that, to do what God's called you to do. So I'm going to pray. I know you're praying. We're going to sing a little. And then I'm going to come back up here, and I'm going to call us all to do whatever God's called us to do to move so let's pray Father this morning as your church as your people the one in whom you've placed your spirit we make ourselves available to you I'm not going to ask you to move because I know you're already moving I'm going to ask you to break our hearts so that we'll be ready to move they will do the thing you've asked us to do if it's to go to someone to ask forgiveness, if it's to go to someone to ask for prayer, if it's to come to this altar to pray, if it's to cry out to you in worship, if it's to fall down on our knees, if it's to lay down on your face, that we would move in response to that, that this would be a time that we would hear and move to your spirit. So God, I know you're speaking. We're listening. Jesus' name.